0: Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I am your host, Phil Scirocchi, and today we will continue our look at the adversary, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, whatever you want to call him. It's important that we know our enemy, and um, in our first part here, we looked at the story of Job. One reason I wanted to start with that was because just seeing the spiritual realm, having a little glimpse into the interaction between the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D, as well as Satan. We just looked at the definition of Satan, kind of his background, and just how evil and just corrupt he is, and how hateful he is, so... There's nothing cool about Satan. There's nothing fun about worshiping him or his little rituals that he has people partake in. Um, So don't deceive yourself. Um, Anyone that practices witchcraft, black magic, or worships Satan openly, they are an open adversary to God. And I would highly caution them to change their ways, repent and ask God to forgive them and he will bring them out of that lifestyle, forgive them and show them what true power is in the spiritual realm and in this physical realm. So without any further ado, let's continue our look at who is Satan and why we must know our enemy. All right, and like I said, we're going to continue our look at our adversary, Satan. We are going to start in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 12 to 21. This gives us the account of the fall of Lucifer that I kind of mentioned a little bit in part one. So here we go. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness? and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of the prisoners? All the kings of the nations, all of them, sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who will go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. So we're going to look at first the definition of Lucifer, as noted in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Satan was once an angel called Lucifer, who, in love with his own beauty, fell into pride and self-centeredness. His rebellion manifests in five I will statements addressed against God. With five utterances, he declares he will take the place of the Most High God. But, in verses 15-20, to reveal that God has the last word. As the Most High makes five responses, Satan, you will, one- be thrown into hell 2 be gazed upon that is made a spectacle 3 be talked about that is mocked and scorned 4 be cast out of your grave like a carcass and 5 be alone god's last word on satan is still applicable to any challenge he attempts to bring against any of the people of god So that's a pretty awesome breakdown right there of Lucifer um, and a pretty quick explanation as far as what happened back, you know, in the spiritual realm and eternity that um, basically he rebelled. He wanted to be God. And if we look around at people around us, you know, evil, wicked people, people that don't surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone is their own God, and I don't care what you think you know, who you think you know, or who you think you are, you will suffer the same exact fate as your father, Satan, if you don't turn away from your rebellion, repent, and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you. The beautiful thing is, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, So that we can be members of God's family. But it's your choice. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. There's no in between. There's no other mediator between man and God. There's one gospel, one word of God, and one God and creator of the heavens and the earth. So we're going to look at the notes now for, again, Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 12 to 21, Lucifer, son of the morning. These verses also have a double application. They are still part of the proverb against the king of Babylon. The language, however, shows that he is a type of Satan. Lucifer means light bearer. The basic sin, that of unchecked personal ambition, desiring to be equal to or above God. With reference to Satan, it is best not to press every detail, but instead to grasp the symbolic intent. In verses 13 to 15, I will occurs five times. Satan's fall was occasioned by two things, pride that presumed to supplant God's rule with his own, and self-will that asserted independence from the Most High. So just looking at that part there quickly, I mean, it's, it's again, very reflective of the rebellion and of the spirit of the Antichrist that exists in the world and amongst wicked people today. We see this everywhere with people wanting to be their own gods, which is what we see in the fallen world around us, which is only getting more amplified. Right now we have lifestyle choices being made that are completely contrary to God. We have governments endorsing and legalizing those lifestyle choices to a point of they don't know where to stop. I just saw now that polygamy is now being considered to be legalized um look it 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 is ultimate i wouldn't be surprised if there's already parts of the world where people literally marry children although america considers itself to be so moral and so upright i wouldn't be surprised if we soon see this illegal age of marriage being lowered and lowered if the lord doesn't come back before then to just put an end to all of this madness that is going on around us. So we're going to jump over now to Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 to 19. And what this is talking about is the king of Tyre, but this is an, an absolute illustration of the fall of Satan and what is to become of Satan in his final judgment for his rebellion and wanting to be his own God and to be above the most high. So again, we're in Ezekiel chapter 28, starting at verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherubim. From the midst of the fiery stones, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you, all who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. You have become a horror. You shall be no more forever. And, um, We're going to look here now at the notes again for Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 to 19. This lamentation is similar to a taunt song addressed to the king of Tyre. Many see in this passage, the fall of Satan, a view held by several of the church fathers in the second half of the fourth century A.D., Such an interpretation is strengthened in light of its extreme descriptions, but does not take full account of the context. The fall of the king of Tyre might equally reflect the fall of Adam, the first king, as well as the fall of any proud man. In this sense, one can also see Satan's fall, for the fall of any proud person reflects the fall of Satan who in himself personifies pride. Like Adam or like Satan prior to his fall, the king of Tyre belongs to God in a unique way and is perfect in creation. He is destined to carry out God's plans and is placed in Eden in the presence of God. Unlike Adam, who is naked, the king of Tyre is covered with every precious stone to denote his beauties and glories. Quickly, um, it basically says here, the stones on the breastplate of the high priest, they were very symbolic. So the high priest, of before um, when they would worship in in the temple, um, they would wear a specific vest that were covered in the same stones that are mentioned here. Coincidentally enough, I mentioned in the first part here how they're looking to build the third temple, and they've already actually made this breastplate or this vest and put these same exact stones in that vest. So, the preparation for this third temple is well beyond anything. They have the plans drawn up, they have the plot of land. Basically, all they need to do now is break ground, and they will have this third temple be constructed, and then this whole system of sacrifice will begin, (laughs) which is another unfortunate marker in this um, calendar of the end days. So quickly looking at that word beauty, where it mentions in chapter 12, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, beauty, splendor, brightness, fairness, perfect in physical form. Flawless in symmetry, Yophi is the word, is derived from the verb Yafa to be beautiful, lovely, fair, and graceful. Yophi occurs 18 times in the Old Testament, and one half of these occurrences are in Ezekiel. In the present reference, the king of Tyre is described as being perfect in beauty at his origin. In Ezekiel 16 verses 14-15, the beauty that God bestowed upon Israel was so extraordinary that it became famous throughout the world. Zion is called the perfection of beauty. See Psalm 52. The most beautiful sight in scripture is the messianic king's enjoying his rightful reign without end. So, Satan started as the utter beauty and perfection. He was very, they they describe him as a very high-ranking angel. I mean, he could have literally been second or third in command in the kingdom of God, which would make total sense that he was so close to God That he eventually rebelled and wanted to be God. Because like any jealous, you know, um, uh, you know, you have a CEO of a company and then you have the supervisors or whoever. They may see themselves as quote unquote next in line. But the foolish error of Satan was thinking that the eternal God Was ever going to be off his throne. (laughs) Because thankfully, God, the eternal Trinity, the Godhead that is the creator of all that is around us and us ourselves, whose life, whose breath we breathe in our very lungs to this day, he is forever. He is eternal. All things will pass away, but the word of God will always remain. And that word of God is Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. No one else, nothing else. There are no other gods before him. So the foolishness of Satan, who got wrapped up in his title, in his rank, in his position that was given to him by his creator God, What a foolish, foolish thing to think the creation could ever be above the creator. Absolute foolishness. And it just is throughout the world we see this. The rebellion. I mean, if you look at the world, it is a total reflection of Satan and his rebellion. And it makes total sense because he is the prince of this world. Not the god of this world, but he is the prince. He is in control and has dominion over this fallen world. How did that happen? Well, we gave it to him when we fell and sinned in the Garden of Eden. And ever since that moment, from that moment on, this world has been Satan's playground and his dominion. And speaking of that very moment and when dominion was handed over to Satan, we are going to flip back now. We are going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Stopping right there quickly. Isn't that, doesn't that no, you know, you will be like God isn't, doesn't that sound familiar? Picking up at, um, again, chapter three, verse six of Genesis. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves for the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We're going to stop there. And quickly, I mean, it's very interesting. The more I read this account of the fall of man, the more I see just how even now uh, when we um, as Christians, you know, in fellowship with the Lord, when we fall, when we sin, We want to hide ourselves from God, even though he seeks us still, even though he's still there readily available to us. Um, It's just very, um, very similar to our experience that we have this visual, literal account of what happened when, again, we're looking at this because we're looking at when we basically gave dominion to Satan when the woman, you know, when per, when man basically fell. And if you look and again, take note of the fact that the food looked good to the eyes and the tree was desirable the, to make one wise, that is, They went and sought other knowledge other than what God had revealed to them. They were tempted in a way in which they thought that they would go off and do something in secret. Yet God knows all. God knew immediately what had happened. He he foreknew before the creation of the heavens and the earth and man what was going to happen. Yet He allowed it to happen because we all have a free will to choose what we are going to serve, who we are going to serve. If you choose to serve anyone other than God, including yourself, you are at enmity with God. You are his enemy until you humble yourself and surrender yourself. To the Lord, then at that time you are restored back to that amazing fellowship and that amazing relationship that God created us all to have, starting with the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, who again, that was broken when they sinned and rebelled against God. So we're going to quickly look at the notes here for, again, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. The chapter, The Fall of Man, introduces two dominant themes of Old Testament theology. God is personal and redemptive, and man is sinful. The reader will not fully understand the Bible without grasping these two great truths. So quickly stopping there. Again, I always say how personal and intimate God is and the fact that he is always there to forgive us. This redemption is basically the theme of the entire Bible. It, throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly redeeming the Israelites, the Jews, his chosen people. And then ultimately, the Old Covenant was broken when the New Covenant was introduced with Jesus coming And doing the ultimate act of redemption, which is living, well, stepping down from heaven, being birthed through a woman. Which is where you see this whole act in verses 14 and 15 laid out, where basically the woman is, although she contributed initially to the fall, she is also used by God to birth Jesus showing her role in the redemption of man, as well as initially the fall of man. So this isn't any type of, there's some strange theologies out there. People might think women are quote unquote weaker than men. That makes no sense. There's no biblical basis for that whatsoever. That's just frankly um, men wanting to position themselves above For some reason, women, when we're called to love women, we're called to lift them up, to respect them and vice versa. So, again, God shows right here that he planned on using the woman to birth ultimately Jesus, his son, Jesus stepping down, coming through this earth or excuse me, walking this earth living a perfect sinless life and then ultimately creating that situation with the cross of Calvary where the ultimate act of redemption was completed where Jesus became the lamb of God who was sacrificed whose blood perfect sinless blood both 100% and 100% man and god was shed for the world so that we could be redeemed and at that point God opened up redemption not only from he took it from just his chosen people the Jews based on the promises he made to the very early um fathers of Judaism and then opened it up to the entire world and you know used Paul to basically One of the greatest apostles to go out and preach to the Gentiles the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the way up to here we are, January 3rd, 2021. That very same gospel is still redeeming us, saving us, and renewing us constantly and refreshing us spiritually and empowering us to walk in the ways of the Lord as He intended. So, looking at the notes here again, um, for Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, it says, The serpent is identified in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, as Satan himself, here in corporal form. So, Right there, I mean, Satan at first shows up, appears as a snake in the Garden of Eden, and is responsible for the very first sin man commits. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious right there as far as just who leads us into temptation. And it is never, we are never tempted by God. We are never Um, God cannot present evil. He is not evil. He does not tempt us with evil. But as we saw with the story of Job in part one, he does allow Satan to tempt us and test us. And ultimately, the purpose of those temptations and tests are simply to Prove and refine our faith in God because we have faith because he is faithful to us Everything we have is because God is That first so it goes back to ultimately The garden was a perfect paradise in which we had perfect communion with God And we had that perfect fellowship And total utter reliance on God because a while back I mentioned this awesome analogy by CS Lewis that says the human spirit can run on only one thing that is God the Holy Spirit and that's why when we become Christians and surrender our lives to the Lord the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and we can try to replace that with everything in the world, but there is nothing that satisfies that ultimate thirst that we have spiritually other than the Spirit of God. That's why everything that you try to fill that with ultimately leaves you empty and needing to go back for more, be it sex, drugs, cars, um, hobbies, whatever it is, although some of those things may not be sinful per se, anything you put before God is sin. So we must realize that and keep that in perspective. So again, going back to, so we saw in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible where Satan presents himself As a serpent, we are now going to look at where, again, Satan is identified as a serpent. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Picking up at verse 7 again, Revelation chapter 12, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Quickly looking at the notes here for, again, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. In this series of visions, specific events are pictured symbolically. We are thus enabled to see the spiritual reality and meaning of events in our historical experience, such as the birth of the Messiah, together with Satan's continuous attempts to destroy him before he completed his redemptive work and his exaltation, followed by the resultant persecution of his church. Knowing that they share in his victory will enable his people to endure patiently any future afflictions. A great sign points to a genuine reality. The woman symbolizes God's people, the faithful remnant of old covenant Israel through whom the Messiah Messiah came forth. The red dragon of verse 3 is identified in verse 9 as the devil. Seven heads represent complete authority, intelligence, and cleverness, but not wisdom. Ten represents earthly completeness, which is therefore limited. Horns are a symbol of physical or political strength. Seven diadems represent political authority. A third of the stars of heaven is a symbolic representation of angelic beings. From the beginning, the obsession of the dragon has been to thwarf the purpose of God being worked out through the woman, the Messianic community, and through the Messiah, her child. And then I'm going to look at something here called the Dispensational Interpretation a woman is nation is national Israel the 12 stars symbolize the 12 tribes she is pictured as a married woman in labor about to give birth to a faithful Jewish remnant in pain indicates the remnant's agony throughout Jewish history the red dragon is Satan seven diadems identify him with the last of the gentile rulers who will be represented by the beast. Some scholars feel that a third of the stars of heaven is symbolic of the angels who cast their lot with Satan in his rebellion against God. They are the principalities and powers against whom all believers wrestle. See Ephesians 6, verse 12. I subscribe to the dispensational interpretation. I do believe that a lot of this is symbolic, but can be interpreted semi-literally in a sense. And as you can see, the red dragon there is Satan. The um, third of the stars of heaven, that's symbolic of the angels or demons that are now fallen angels that followed Lucifer and rebelled against God. So there's a lot of a lot of amazing revelation within the book of revelation and maybe someday we'll get a chance to look at that we just finished that up at my church it's a very um deep deep book but it's amazing how revelation actually ties together the entire bible and it really just ties together world history and describes this coming head that everything is coming to, which is ultimately this final judgment of Satan and his fallen demons, but ultimately the Antichrist and his false prophet as well, which is the unholy trinity that Satan is in the midst and always has. Again, he wanted to be God, so his final counterfeit presentation to the world Will be a false trinity with him being the head, along with a false prophet and an antichrist, his false son. So, Satan again will be the false father, the antichrist will be the false son, and the prophet will be the false spirit or the miracle worker. So, We're going to look now at the quick um, notes for I want to look at the notes because there's a lot in that whole section of Revelation. Again, chapter 12 verses one to 12. So I want to give a bit of a background to it so you're not just left totally in the dark here. So um, looking at the note for chapter five, the child was sent to rule, literally to shepherd with a rod of iron, a symbol of firmness, but not tyranny. The total revelational Event of Jesus Christ is here telescoped between his birth and his enthronement. So, I love what it says there. It's he rolls with a rod of iron, a symbol of firmness but not tyranny. That's the major difference between God and Satan slash evil rulers on this earth, tyrannical rulers that we have seen and that we will see ultimately in that final ruler, the Antichrist, the evil ruler, that is. And we see that even in Jesus' ruling with a rod of iron and firmness, we still have a will to choose who we will serve. So he will never overtake us like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never overtakes us, but fills us And guides us, but God is not an overpowering God. As in, when God gives the commandments, the first commandment, he basically says, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. And what he's saying there, he's clarifying who he is, but he is also commanding them to choose to have him above all other things in life, as we are called to do to this very moment and this very day as his followers. So quickly again, that dispensational interpretation from the Jewish remnant, Christ, the male child, is born to rule all nations. The remnant will be intimately identified with the throne of Christ in the millennial kingdom. Um, And then finishing up here with the note for verse 6. The woman no longer represents the Messianic community that brought forth the Messiah, but is now the church that the Messiah brought forth. The reason for the flight is given in verse 13. A place prepared by God is where he protects and lovingly provides for his people. 1,260 days is the consistent symbol for affliction and persecution of the witnessing church. So looking quickly here at the dispensational interpretation, national Israel is evidently to be providentially protected during the great tribulation by some type of flight. The wilderness here could be Petra and Edom. Basically there it's saying that, In the end times, there's going to be great persecution, and one way that God's people will escape that persecution is fleeing the land of Israel. So God's people, it all started in Israel. They were scattered, as clearly laid out in the Bible, and then now they are gathered back in the land. But at the very end of the age, they again are going to have to flee from the land due to persecution and who knows, maybe a war, maybe a nuclear bomb goes off and just completely toxifies the land to which it's no longer inhabitable at all. Uh, Iran has said for many decades now that their entire goal with their nuclear program is to literally, quote, wipe Israel off the map. So these world events are all coming into place right now. We just had a new administration elected (laughs) that wants to gladly hand Iran back the reins. And they're I just read yesterday where Iran now plans to, excuse me, enrich their uranium up to 20% nuclear grade. So we're talking about things that are happening right now in the current age that were prophesied over 2000 years ago by a guy named John sitting on a deserted island called Patmos because he had basically been exiled there because he was just too radical for the Romans and now he um this amazing revelation and prophecy he's writing probably in total total question as far as what am I seeing. I better just write this down because I'm not going to remember all this. So we're going to look finally here at the notes. Again, we're looking at who is Satan, but I wanted to look at this background because it's important to start seeing as we are living in the very end days, what happened prior to. This gives us, again, some insight into the spiritual realm as far as what's going on, but this can all be interpreted and understood through the context of looking back at the events that are foretold in different prophecies of the Bible, especially Revelation and the book of Daniel go hand in hand, and um, You know, prophetically and perfectly complement each other in explaining some of these events that, of course, on the surface, without a study Bible and study notes, we would have no idea what this woman is, what these 12 stars are, what these 10 heads mean, what the seven horns mean. But again, God doesn't leave us in the blind. He gives us in-depth understanding through his Holy Spirit That if we seek to know answers and have understanding, he will provide that. So, speaking of that, let's finish up with the notes here for when Satan is thrown out of heaven. Again, looking at this particular verse in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, where Satan, again, we looked at Genesis where the serpent tempted Eve and Adam. And had them fall and rebel against God and commit the first sin which completely threw everything into a, a threw everything off track if you will, and again it says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So you can see Satan was cast out of heaven onto the earth along with his angels, the fallen angels now called demons. So again, we're looking at chapter, the notes for chapter 7 to verse 12, um, excuse me, chapter 12, verses 7 to 12. The same spiritual conflict contemporaneous with verses 1 to 6 is now described in the heavenly realm. Michael, in the tradition of Judaism, is one of seven archangels and the guardian champion of Israel. The dragon and his angels were defeated by the total event of Jesus Christ. That, All right, let's just look at the notes quickly here. Michael, the dispensational interpretation. Michael has a unique place in the destiny of national Israel. Here, Michael is involved in the expulsion of Satan from heaven to the earth in the middle of the great tribulation. So, you know, there's, Satan is obviously, he is freaking out right now to the point of where he is cast out of heaven somehow. This is going back and forth, could be between uh, past events, future events. But somehow, Michael, and take note here too, God doesn't even cast Satan out directly. He has one of his archangels cast Satan out. Again showing that Satan is by no means equivalent to God, to equivalent to Jesus. There is no equation whatsoever in the Bible that ever says that. Any false theologies that teach that are just that false teachings by false teachers in false religions. So there is absolutely no biblical, true, canonical basis for that belief or teaching. So, and you see here where an archangel named Michael throws Satan and his angels, a third of the angels right out of heaven. So it takes one of God's archangels, one of seven, to take care of this foolish, foolish entity we call Satan, Lucifer, the devil, basically the serpent of old that has been deceiving people since the very first man and very up to up to this very moment is still deceiving people to this very second, thinking they're in control, that they're their own gods, that they have control of their own lives. It's amazing as I do this study the parallel I see between Satan's foolishness and the foolishness of the lost fallen man who thinks they are their own god and in control of anything they're in control of absolutely nothing god has control of everything as we saw in the book of job even the temptations and tests that we are put through are measured by what god allows Satan to execute. So remember that next time you're tested or tempted. And just look at, the, trust me, few people go through what Job went through, yet even through all that, Job gives glory to God and realizes that simple reality that naked we came, naked we go, blessed is the Lord and the Lord only. So that's very heartening and very um affirming in who God is and it's absolutely incredible when we look at the brutal things that have gone on I'm looking right now at one of my books Fox's book of martyrs if you ever want to see what true persecution is what true trials are grab that book and look at the early church what they went through that that basically documents the first few centuries of persecution and martyrdom in which people went through and suffered and died for the name of Jesus, as Jesus said we would. And don't think because we're comfortable here in Western society that that is not going to be a reality for all someday, because it is Christianity is currently the most persecuted religion in the world. I just saw a video again of extremists in another part of the world that had Christians on their knees. They made them confess that they are Christians right before shooting them in the head and killing them and martyring them. You know, these fake false religions that that have the audacity to call themselves martyrs (laughs) that have no clue where the true martyrdom is, dying for your beliefs in Christ, not these false teachings where people quote-unquote martyr themselves so that they can bypass their false religious system of weighted good versus bad actions on this earth. Just to give you a quick background, Islamic extremists believe that if they martyr themselves, then they immediately go to heaven and are given 77 virgins or something like that. That whole concept is perverted, sick, again, straight out of the pits of hell. What a false teaching, a false religion. Uh, Just nothing but another false religion, but um, do not ever give any way to those false teachings and realize that true martyrdom may be coming to us in this century in this western comfortable world we live in so be prepared to stand up for your faith because these tests these tests these trials and tribulations they are coming and you know the the um the wheat will be separated and thrown into the fire and we will see what comes out on the other end um picking up again at the verses the notes for verses 10 now refers to the first advent this is his kingdom not of this world it must not be understood in terms of an earthly political kingdom They overcame him by appropriating the victory of the finished work of Christ by the public confession of their faith and patient endurance, even in the face of martyrdom. The church's constant posture under the authority of the cross's victory by the blood of the Lamb and steadfastness to the promise and authority of God's word The word of their testimony is the key to their overcoming. Then finally, finishing up here with the note for verse 12. The defeat of the devil causes rejoicing among God's people, but woe among people of the world. Note the intensification of evil workings of hell as the age progresses and the adversary knows he has a short time. We are living in that age right now of basically these are the very end days. We're on the tail end of human history before God will ultimately come back, judge this world righteously as he is righteously must do so because he is a holy, righteous God. There is a simple explanation to why the world must be judged. It has nothing to do with God wanting to do that. God has given people every opportunity, has given mankind every opportunity to choose their way and their path in life. And he allows us to choose his will or our will. And it's that simple. We are going to finish up in part three next, looking at that very choice that everybody makes.